a study today. I want to look into the life and the story of Joseph. Amen. Joseph just uh, just been on my heart and my prayer time this past couple of weeks. And so I just want to begin just to take a look, a little dive into the story of Joseph. Probably a familiar story for most of us here today, but we're going to start it out. We're going to have quite a bit of scripture that that we're going to have today. And so I just want to get right into the scripture. We're just going to, instead of me just summarizing the story or assuming that you know the whole story of Joseph, we're going to begin reading in Genesis chapter 37 and just, just read this whole passage here this morning um, that begins the life of Joseph. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 37, Genesis chapter 37, we're going to begin in verse number 2. And now, this is really just the start, the beginning of, of Joseph's life. We're kind of picking up when he's, we'll see, 17 years old. And Joseph, in fact, he his story um, is the longest or the most in-depth story that we see of any individual person in the book of Genesis. And so this, this story of Joseph is a very rich story. We can pull a lot from it, but I want to... Begin here in Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 2. It says that these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, so Joseph would be Jacob's son. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. In other words... Anytime that his brothers or his half-brothers were doing something wrong, he would come back and tell his father about it. And Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably unto him. Joseph dreamed a dream. He told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. He said unto them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and it stood upright. Behold, your sheaves stood round about, and they made obeisance to my sheaf. His brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? They hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed yet another dream. He told his brethren and he said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars, they made obeisance to me. Again, we have them just bowing down to him. He told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and he said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? His brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. In other words, his father just kind of mulled these dreams over and kind of wondering, what do these dreams mean? His brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said unto Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come and 
I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and he said, uh, and Behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? He said, Well, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. The man said, there departed hence, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph then went after his brethren, and he found them in Dothan. Now let's look what happens when he finds them, or they see him coming uh, to them when they're there in Dothan. Verse 18, when, he saw him, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. They said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Well, Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and he said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that's in the wilderness. Lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Came to pass, when Joseph was coming to his brethren, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him, they cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. We're going to stop the story there, we could continue on and see what happens to him, but I want to just look at this. Really today, I want to look at this from the perspective, not of Joseph, but from the perspective of his brothers, have you ever had anybody that's difficult to like? Maybe in your workplace. For them, it was in their family. Somebody that's, that's difficult to like. I want to just talk for a little while this morning on learning to love people when you don't like them. You know, that is the Christian ethic. That is what Jesus tells us to do and and rather uh this morning maybe maybe it, I, I have in my title learning to love them this is uh i guess a little bit less prescriptive as as far as it's not so much about uh a, a process of learning it's just the fact that jesus does call us and does uh, instruct us to love people even when they're difficult to like so this is less about about a process of, of getting to, uh, figuring out how to do that. And more so, this is something that when we do search and when we do look inwardly about, uh, at, at, at the way that we, uh, interact with people that are hard to like, that are difficult to like, can I still find it in myself to treat them, to treat them well, to treat them in a Christian manner, to treat them as Jesus would treat them, and to love them? Because we are called to love everyone. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to be somebody who you like being around, though. You know, I think that uh, the family dynamic, if we just kind of look, step back and look at the family dynamic of, of this family, of the, this family of Joseph, it was not a very healthy family dynamic. Not healthy at all. It was a very dysfunctional family. You had... 
we're, if we're looking at, at how this family is made up, the, uh, we have Jacob or, or Israel as the father. Now Israel himself, he, he didn't have a great family, uh, great family relationships growing up. He had a twin brother that he didn't get along with very well. In fact, there's one point where his brother decided, I'm going to kill him. And so he had to run for his life and he escaped. And then it was in that point in his life where he had run away from home. And uh, he, at that point, found, uh, found the love of his life, Rachel. Beautiful girl. He said, I'm going to marry this girl. And he goes and... And in that time, the marriage works, marriage process works a little differently than it does today. And so he can just go and, and run off and elope and, and find this girl. This is a, this is a community process. He had to go. This, he had to get the favor of, of her father. And so he, he does. He gets the favor. He thinks, but then ends up on the wedding day. He doesn't get Rachel. He gets her ugly older sister, Leah. Finds out his father-in-law gave him the wrong one. Well, in that day, they don't just simply divorce, remarry, figure out an annulment process. That wasn't how it worked at that time. At that point in in history, how this kind of worked, if they they have one wife, they'll just add another wife. They'll just keep on adding the wives. And so so he's still married to Leah, but then he adds Rachel to his, uh, to his household. He does get to marry the girl that he wants. And then, uh, and then we end up seeing, I'll just kind of try to work through this quickly, but he ends up adding a couple other wives or, or, um, handmaidens that would, would come and they would be his wives as well. They would give him children. And so we see the, the family dynamic. You have Leah, the one that he didn't like, but she's the one that is able to give him the most children. She has five sons. Billa, this is another wife that he had taken on. She gives him two sons, Zilpa, another two sons. And then at the very end of his life, after he'd already had ten children, at the end of his life, he finally, from the, from the woman that he loves the most, she finally is able to give him a son. And it's Joseph. We see that she has two sons. After Joseph, she does have one more. Benjamin, in which she dies in, in childbearing um, in, during the time when she was giving birth to Benjamin. So she does give him two sons. But it was Joseph that was the favorite. Joseph is the one who, who everybody knew. All the, all the brothers knew. This is, this is dad's favorite right here. I mean, it was the son of his old age. But it was also the first son of the, the one. If he could have just had one wife, he would have done it. Now one wife, Rachel, the one he loved the most, she has this son Joseph and, and he treats him differently. When you're, maybe, maybe you've been in, in a situation, maybe it's not in your family dynamic, but maybe you've been in a situation where, where you feel as if you've been treated unfairly. You see somebody else getting favor when you don't understand why you're not getting that same kind of favor. And sometimes when you, when this happens, it's, it's hard to like those, that, that person. There's, there's things that people have done to you and, and maybe it's like Joseph's. It wasn't just that the father favored him. That's not the only reason that the brothers didn't like him. I mean, Joseph was a pretty arrogant young guy. He knew his dad liked him the most and he was not afraid to let his brothers know. 
He was, he would let, you know, he was, he was the favored one. He, he would go, he'd have these dreams and it's not his fault that God was giving him these dreams, but he would just go and he'd tell his brothers all about it. And he, you know, just, I don't know what kind of reaction he was expecting. Wasn't a great one though. <laughs> I mean, hey, God gave me this dream and you guys are all going to bow down to me. I mean, what kind of reaction do you think he's going to get? But, and so, so these are the things that, that are, is, is going on in this family. And, and you have this, this one guy that's, it's pretty hard to like. And maybe you can think of somebody in your life that it's just, it's just hard to like them sometimes. I mean, they're kind of full of themselves. They're, they're favored when, when you're like, I don't understand why, why everybody likes them or why the boss prefers them or, you know, whatever the case is. And, and, and here I am and I'm working hard. I don't get noticed. And so what, what can we learn? I want to, I want to see what can we learn from the way that the brothers treated Joseph on what not to do when you don't like someone. In that story, Genesis 37, we see a couple of different, uh, instances where the brothers, we see their reactions toward Joseph. In Genesis 37 verse 4, it says that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him, they could not speak peaceably unto him. In other words, they could never find a kind word to say to their brother. Well, the first thing that we ought not to do, if you don't like somebody, then maybe it's take the approach that that my mom would always tell me growing up, you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Right? You don't have anything nice to say. Don't say anything at all. Don't speak harshly. The, the way that these brothers, they, it says that they could not, they, they could never find a nice word to say about him. And it's not just about don't say anything at all, but, but how about let's still find a way to interact in, in a positive way with the people that are difficult to like. In fact, it tells us in, um, Ephesians chapter four, verse 29, it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let no corrupt communication. Now, understand, this is not just talking about when you're talking to people that you like. I mean, that's kind of obvious that you wouldn't have corrupt communication come out of your mouth when it's people that you like, right? Right? But when, when it's somebody that you, that you're not so fond of, when it's somebody that's just hard, difficult to like, somebody that is difficult to get along with, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but edify them, lift them up, minister grace unto the hearers. Don't speak harshly to the ones that are difficult to like. Yeah, this may, some of this stuff today may hit a little close to home. That's all right. Beginning just in the next verse there in, in Genesis 37, if we stay there, we see in verse 5, it says that Joseph dreamed a dream. He told it to his brethren. They hated him yet the more. He goes, he tells them the dream. We'll just skip down to verse 8. It says, his brethren said to him, shalt thou indeed reign over us or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. They had this sense of indignation, this, this sense of, 
you know, why is he being treated special and I'm being passed over? They hated him because, uh, no, no, in this sense, it's, it's why would he be getting these kind of dreams? Why? He already has the favor of our father. If these dreams are really from God, if this is really trying to point to something that is going to come to pass in his life, this isn't fair. I'm sure Reuben, I mean, Reuben's the firstborn. He was the very, out of all the 12 sons, Reuben was the firstborn. He, was, he wasn't just the firstborn of the favorite wife, but he was the firstborn of Jacob. He's the one who should have had all of the blessings. He's the one that should have had, you know, been the preferred one. And Reuben, just like any of the others, he, he could have, you know, why, why is he getting all the favor? Why is it him? And, and he comes and they became indignant. This is, indignance is, is this, uh, this anger that kind of arises in you because you feel as if you deserve something that somebody else got. God was favoring Joseph. God was giving him these dreams when this is something that, that should happen to, should be happening to me or this just isn't, this isn't fair. Okay? They became indignant. Proverbs 19.11. Proverbs 19.11. It tells us that the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. It is his glory to pass over a transgression. In other words, a, a wise man, a wise man is going to be slow to anger. A wise man will not be somebody who goes and, and they get angry about a transgression, but rather they get glory by passing over the fact that they've been transgressed. They get glory by the fact that, you know what, I've been wronged in this situation, or this isn't fair, but I'm still going to, or I'm, I'm not going to make a big stink about this. Right? Better keep going. Amen. What not to do when you don't like someone. We see in verse 9 through 11, again, he dreams another dream. We'll just read this passage here. It says, he dreamed yet another dream. He told it to his brethren. And he said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more. Behold, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars that made obeisance to me. He told this to his fathers, his brethren. The father rebuked him. He said, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I, thy mother, thy brothers indeed come and bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And then his brothers envied him. But his father observed the same. They developed envy. What not to do when you don't like someone. We shouldn't develop envy toward the people that seem to be preferred. Toward somebody that, uh, I don't know what the reason might be for uh, the individual that it's just difficult to like. But there's, in some cases, there where you can start to develop envy within yourself for where they are at and you're not. Galatians verse five or chapter 5. Verse 26, Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, don't be desirous of this, uh, this just being built up here on this life. Vain glory, glory that it's not really going to amount to much. Provoking one another, envying one another, envying what, envying what somebody else has. You know what? We have a greater crown that's waiting for us. We have a greater uh, end result of something that will come at the end of life. That it, we're, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if, if you're getting passed over here in this life. It may feel as if this is something that you ought to envy, that you start to really get worked up about. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? 
because there is a crown that's waiting for me. Let me not get all twisted up in a big pretzel over somebody else that is that that gets something that I don't have. What not to do when you don't like someone or when someone is just difficult to like? Do not develop envy. The last thing that we kind of, we see in this story here is 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 the culmination of of what happens with. The brothers of, of all of these things that are building up to this, to the fact that you see that they're harboring bitterness. You see the, the hatred that's developed within them. This isn't, this is no longer just, uh, you know, a little harsh words that are said to their brother. It's no longer just being indignant, feeling as if you were, you were passed over for something. It's no longer about envy, just saying, you know what, I, I, I wish that I had what my brother had. It's no longer about that. This is developed beyond that because bitterness has set in. You have hatred that's set in to the point where they are willing to kill their brother because they're sick of it. I would hope that nobody here is, is at that point. It doesn't matter how much that you don't like somebody. I hope that you're not at the point that his brother's got to. I see somebody, I see somebody uh, looking at their spouse and kind of laughing. And I, I hope that there is not somebody that we would get to that point where there would be so much bitterness and hatred but we ought to uh within ourselves though check do i have any kind of bitterness in me towards somebody is there any kind of bitterness that has been built up over the over the process of time with individuals that it's just difficult it's been difficult for me to work with them or it's difficult just to get along with this person you know i need to check myself what is this bitterness where is this going to lead is this bitterness, is it really worth holding on to? Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, it, it tells us pretty clearly. It says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, put, be put away from you with all malice. Very plainly, let all bitterness be put away from you. Let all wrath, anger, clamor, let all of these things be put away from you. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We ought not to harbor bitterness or harbor hatred in our lives. I want to focus in on this unfair treatment that, that they received. And, and perhaps you have experienced the same kind of thing in your life. And I just, just mention, just uh, talk about six things to remember when you are treated unfairly. Six things to remember when you feel as if you're being treated unfairly. Well, has anybody ever been there? Where you're just, I mean, in, in life, you feel as if you're treated unfairly. Things that um, you've been passed over. Maybe it was a, a job promotion that you should have got and you didn't, you didn't receive it. Or, or maybe it's just, uh, you know, I, I guess there's, there's so many different situations that you feel as if you were treated unfairly. First thing that we should remember is that life isn't fair. God never promised that life would be fair. Right? I mean... I, it's it's kind of amazing to me that, that sometimes um, sometimes Christians will will come. Sometimes people will come and and they'll tell me about a situation and they're like, why why is this happening? You know, doesn't 
Shouldn't all these things just work out? I mean, shouldn't God's favor be on me on in this? And, you know, that, that I should still have, you know, the, the things should work out and be fair in this life. You know what? God never promised that. As long as we are here on this earth, fairness was never something that was promised to us. There is, at the end of the day, going to be a judgment day where there is true justice, true fairness in the eyes of God, the way that he, he handles things. But as long as we're on this earth, as long as we're on this earth, things are not going to be fair. And that includes whether you live for God or you don't live for God. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what, uh, what your um, status is, that, that things, they, they might seem unbalanced in life at times. And, and you know what? That's, it's okay. Ecclesiastes 9, 11, we have uh, Solomon. He's, he's looking over life. He's, he's just kind of uh, noticing things. And, and he notices this fact that things sometimes just aren't fair. We can pull that up. Ecclesiastes 9, 9, 11. He's looking out over life and, and he says, let me turn there. He's saying here that there is the runner. Sometimes the fastest runner does not always win the race. Sometimes it's not the one who has worked the hardest that gets the most success. Here he says, I returned and I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, the battle to the strong. Neither yet the bread to the wise, nor yet the riches to the men of, uh, of understanding, nor yet favor to the men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. He says, when you look over life, it's not always the one that you think should, you know, should deserve it that ends up getting, getting what the end result is. It's, it's not always the one that you think should get the, the prize that gets the prize. Life isn't always fair. In Psalm chapter 73, Psalm, Psalm chapter 73. This is David looking out over life. And I think this is a great lesson for us to learn today. What David says here. Says truly God is good to Israel. Even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me. My feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are they're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. He goes on and on to explain, when I look out over this world and I see all these people that do not live for God, these evil men, and yet why are they being blessed? He says, my feet almost slipped. When I started looking out over, over life and I see all these people out there, and this is the stuff that should be happening to the people that live for God. This is the stuff, you know, these blessings, the fact that they're the ones that are, that are being, uh, you know, the riches are heaped on them. They're the ones that, that escape death when it's coming, uh, you know, seems to be coming to them. And he says, my feet almost slipped. But then we get down to verse 16 in this psalm here. And he says, but when I thought to know this, that it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. My feet almost slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then I stepped into the presence of God and I remembered this right here is what they do not have. 
They may, it may look like everything out in this world is, is at their fingertips. But this right here, this is the greatest gift that I could ever have. This right here, the being in the presence of God, in the sanctuary of God, it reminded me that at the end of the day, that this is the only thing that matters. I remember that at the end that they're going to pass away and they don't get to spend eternity in the presence of God. But me, at my end, as long as I continue to serve God, it doesn't matter what somebody else is getting blessed with. I will continue serving you because at the end, I get to spend eternity with you. Life here on earth may not be fair, but I Am going and looking towards eternity. Amen. My eyes are set on that. It's not on just this, this breath of, of, of life that we have right now, but it's about something that is far greater than that. And so God, he didn't promise that life on earth would be fair, but there is going to be something that is worth living for, living for God, uh, no matter what. Number two, six things to remember when you're treated unfairly. Number two, what happens in you? is more important than what happens to you. What happens in you is more important than what happens to you. See, things are going to happen in this, in this life that we are powerless to change. You usually cannot rearrange uh, someone else's behavior towards you. Usually, you, you can't do that. A lot of times, you can't undo the moments in which someone has hurt you. Right, you've, been, you've been hurt before. You can't undo these things. You can't necessarily even change, uh, you know, how somebody is acting towards you, but you can, you can determine how you react inside. It's more important about what is happening in here than what's happening out there to me. When if we keep reliving these unhappy moments in, in our life and all these things and of the wrongdoings that have happened in our life, you can become bitter. This is what leads to bitterness. This is what leads to hatred. This is what leads to all these things where, uh, where the relationships in your life start crumbling because you're allowing the outside influences to affect what's on the inside. Something that you have control over. In fact, if you, ha- one, one of the things with, um, with, with the Holy Ghost, when you get God's Spirit inside of you, you have the fruit of the Spirit that ought to be present in your life. This is love, joy. In fact, you can turn there to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. To love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These things... These are the things that you have inside of you, the fruit of the Spirit. And these ought to show, and these ought to come from the inside. When you have the Spirit of God in you, then it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. It doesn't matter how many times I've been wronged. I'm still going to go through life with joy. And I'm still going to go through life with peace. It doesn't matter if I've been wronged. I can still go through life and be gentle have meekness. Well, these things are on the inside. In fact, the Lord, uh, or, or we see, we see, and we're gonna, we're gonna get there eventually, um, with, with Joseph, but, uh, we see at the end of his life of all these things that he's been wronged in what at the end of the day he said in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says, what you meant for evil, 
what you thought was evil against me, God, he meant it for good. We see that the story of, of Joseph's life, through all the things that he's been wronged, the unfair treatment that he received. I know we're, today we're kind of looking at this from the perspective of the brothers and how, how they were treated unfairly or they, were, uh, they, they had reason to not like their brother in, in the way that they treated him. But Joseph very much so had, a, uh, through his life, he had been treated unfairly by his brothers. He had a whole lot of reasons not to like his brothers. But he says at the end, and inside of me, he says, you meant it for evil. I realize God meant it for good. It may have taken me some time to process this and to understand this. But I understand now that God meant this for good. And we, we need to understand that as we go through life that, that there's going to be, there, that there's a reason that God is allowing me to go through this. And on the inside, I, I'm going to uh, hold on to the fact that in me, what happens in me is more important than what's happening to me. I need to keep my focus on God. Number three, God is watching to see what you will do. Remember, that you should not take it upon yourself to go and get justice for the wrongs that you've been, for the, for the times in which you've been wronged. It's, it's not for you to take that, that justice into your own hands. Vengeance is never an option for us. This is not a Christian option to, to take vengeance on somebody else. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Right? That we leave up to God. It's never to get back at somebody. This is not the way that when you're treated unfairly, we, as, it's, it's, as a Christ-like example, living our, our lives in the way that Christ lived his, is not to take vengeance on the people that are treating us unfairly. Or maybe you, uh, maybe you heard the, the story of the guy who he got he got bit by a dog and he went to the doctor's office and and the doctor came back into the room and he said i've you know i've got some really bad news for you the dog seems to have had rabies and the guy immediately pulls out a piece of paper and he he starts writing down some stuff and the doctor's like oh no this guy he thinks you know this is you know maybe we don't have a treatment for this he's writing down his will and and he, he doctor tells him he says you know what he says, it's going to be all right. You don't have to start on your will right now. And he says, I'm not, I'm not doing my will. He says, I'm just writing down all the people that I'm going to bite. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the, the reaction sometimes that we have when you've been wronged, right? <laughs> you just want to bite back at somebody. You want to bite back at all the people who have wronged you. This, you know, I, I've got this person and I'm just going to list them out. This person, then this person, then this person. I'm going to just write, bite back at all these people who have wronged me. But God says, no, 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 no. Just leave it to me. I, I want you to hold back. In fact, let's, let's go. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. It says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. 
If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I know it's not easy, but this is the instruction that we receive from Scripture of what we are to do when we've been wronged. We're going to skip over that Scripture in 1 Peter. It's number four. You must not bow to bitterness. I mean, we've already kind of talked about where bitterness leads. And, and this is, it's so easy to let bitterness just kind of begin to set into your life when you feel as if you've been treated unfairly, but you must not bow to bitterness. Do not allow bitterness to take root in your life. Ephesians 4, 31 uh, tells us, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, speaking, uh, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Let not bitterness take root in your life. Do not let bitterness get a hold of you. Number five, what you do is more important than how you feel. I already said that what happens in you is more important than what happens to you. But also what you do is more important than how you feel. See, God has spelled out what our behavior is to be in the kind of situations that we're discussing. Matthew five forty four says, but I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6, 27, it says, but I say unto you, which here, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you. Romans 12, 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. Come on, these are not easy, these are not the, uh, you know, the kind of actions that just come naturally. It isn't, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to just pray for your enemies. It's not easy just to pray for the ones who, who have hurt you and then, and how you feel, how you feel should not dictate the way that you act. What you do is more important than how you feel. You may feel inside that this person's really difficult to like. You may feel, I don't know that I can get along with this person. But what you do is more important than how you feel. You may feel this person wronged me. I can't get over this. What you do is more important than how you feel. You may feel as if, well, I, this, is, this is something that, um, you know, for me, I just, I just cannot understand why they would do that to me. And, and you feel so hurt and you feel, but, but what you do is more important than how you feel. Pray your enemies maybe you say well that's not my enemy pray for your enemies pray for those who despitefully use you what you do is more important than how you feel the last thing I just want to mention is that you are still the bigger debtor doesn't matter what you feel somebody else owes you you're still the bigger debtor We could see this. I'll just summarize the story there in that last passage, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. It's Jesus telling this parable of the one who owes a debt. And he, it's a large sum. This is, you know, years worth of his salary that he owes a debt. And the one who he owes it to forgives it of him. And then he ends up going 
right out after this is forgiven of him and throwing somebody in jail because they owed him just a small sum of money, taking everything from them. He says, you had this great sum that you owed that's been forgiven, and you can't forgive just this small little thing? Come on, we, we have been forgiven of the greatest sum that we could ever be forgiven of. Jesus Christ, he, has for, he gave his life to forgive you of your sins. So we ought to have it in us to be able to forgive somebody of no matter what it is, no matter how big you might think it is, it's not as big as what Jesus did to give his life for the debt that you owed. You are still the bigger debtor today. You have been forgiven. Jesus instructs us, forgive for you have been forgiven. If you cannot forgive somebody, then I cannot forgive you. Those are the words of Jesus. Matthew 5, 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Amen. We're going to come to a close with that. And we've got our children that are coming back in right now. But I wonder right now, as we're still, as they're coming in, gathering in here, if we could just all close our eyes. Maybe there's some in here today that, you know, you don't have anybody on your mind that, you know, just it's hard to get along with. But there's, there's somebody right now. You've been trying to work these things out. You, you go to work, you come home frustrated, you, you feel, you know, I, I wish I wouldn't have reacted in that way. And in these these, this way, this, this way of living a Christian life, it's not always the easy thing to do, but, but you've been called to live with these principles. We need to learn to love others. Love those. Pray for them. Love your enemy. Come on. That is the second greatest commandment that you would love others. He doesn't categorize that into the ones who are easy to love and the ones who are difficult to love. He says love others. Man, we maybe just want to slip a hand up right now. Let's just pray. God, help me. When things get difficult. Oh, this is, this is real Christianity today. God, this is real talk about, about what we are called to do. God, and I pray that we would be different. This is one of the ways, God, where we could stand out most in this world. God, that we would not get, take vengeance. That we would not, Lord, try to uh, get back at those who have hurt us, God. But that we, Lord, would, would act in a way that would give you glory. Lord, help us today, Lord, to, to defer our anger. God, help us today, Lord, that we would not act irrationally, God, in a way, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that would, would cause you, Lord, to, to be shamed or cause your name to be shamed. But Lord, I, I want to bring you praise through my actions. Lord, help us as Christians, God, to go through this life in such a way, Lord, that they could see our light shine. Lord, they could see who you are. Jesus. Surround.